starting this morning, I want to preach um, a series probably of three messages um, on the gospel of the cross of Christ. I just was going to select one verse, God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me and me to the world. But I went, the Lord took me much further than that. And so um, I think I have enough material here that God's already given me that will take at least three weeks to cover. And so anytime I'm preaching, I'll go go till I get through these uh, three messages. You know, um, what I did was this. I just got my Bible, sat down at the dining room table where I could write, and said, Now, Lord, I want you to tell me everything you want to tell me about the cross. I didn't have any notes, and I'm not bragging. I mean, I just, I just said, Lord, just you speak to me anything you want to speak to me about the gospel of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, it ended up that there were five truths that uh, the Holy Spirit gave me over a period of time. The five truths were this. Number one, the person on the cross. Sometimes we talk about the cross, the death of Jesus. But we somehow forget the significance of the person who was on the cross. Then the second thing was, he spoke to me about the purpose of the cross. You know, the cross is the most recognized symbol in the world. No matter where you can go, pretty much, there's usually, even if it's a pagan place, there's some kind of church building with a steeple. Maybe empty, but still there's a steeple with a cross at the top. Well, what was the purpose of the cross? Then the third thing he spoke to me was about the power, no, excuse me, the provision of the cross. The person of the cross, the purpose of the cross, and then the provision of the cross. And then the fourth thing was the personal invitation of the cross, how personal it is. Jesus died for the whole world, but he died for you. And there's no more personal invitation than the invitation to come to the cross of Christ in repentance of sin. And then the last thing was the power, the power, the power of the cross. What was it that made Paul say, God forbid that I should glory, Galatians 5, 16, and I hope you brought your Bibles with you this morning and I know the scriptures will be on the screen, but still. Galatians 5.16, that is not right. It's 6.15, 6.14. That's off to a good start. Galatians 6.14, where he said, God, but God forbid. He's asking God. But God forbid that I should boast, or as the King James says, glory. God forbid that I should gross boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified has been crucified to me and to me to the world what was it that led Paul right at the end of that book of Galatians to come out with such a bold statement he said I am not going to get caught up in anything and glorifying anything but the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you read the verses around verse 16, the Judaizers were still putting pressure on the Gentiles uh, to be circumcised. To them, to the Judaizers, Christ was not enough. It was Christ plus 
circumcision. And Paul knew that it meant absolutely nothing. And he said in, in the verse after Galatians 6.14, he said, it's not circumcision or uncircumcision. It is a new creation. That's what it's all about. And so he was answering uh, religious people who were trying to tack on to the truth of the cross the matter of being circumcised. And he said, well, God forbid, I died to that world. I was crucified to that world. I died to that world of religion. And that world died to me. And I am not going there. And you, I'm only going to boast in the cross of Christ. So for the next few Sundays, we'll just look at this. Now, here's the thing I want you to look at. You can get so familiar with something that it no longer stirs you. You can get so uh, accustomed to tremendous truth that the fact that it is so tremendous has gotten lost somewhere in your familiarity. But it, it is always good to stop. Now, when we talk about the cross, stay with me. We're not talking about a piece of wood. That's not what we're talking about. In fact, Peter called it the tree. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. We're not talking about a piece of wood. When we talk about the cross, we're talking about the entire event surrounding the death of Christ. Everything surrounding it. From the time he said, my hour is not yet come, to the hour had come. So we're looking at the entire picture of the cross, trying to survey, like that hymn said, when I survey the wondrous cross, on whence the prince of glory died. So we're going to survey it. But I, I, I want us to see today the person that was on the cross. It changes everything. There were two other people crucified with him. I don't know their names. You don't know their names. They're lost in history. But ever since the day Jesus Christ died on the cross, history has been changed. It has been changed by the death of the Son of God. So he was the person that is upon the cross. Well, you can't improve on the Word of God. So let's just read a few verses and Let's just think about Jesus dying on the cross. But I want you to think about who he is. First thing I want us to read is in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, 1 through 5. Listen to what it says. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning, the word that was with God and the word that was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now listen at this. This is who's on the cross. All things were made through him. And without him was nothing made that was made. Stop a minute. Jesus was there when the Father spoke this world into being. And all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. But oh, look at the next verse about the person on the cross. In him was life. Wow. All the law of Moses, the ceremonial law, all it could would produce was death. The letter kills. The law without Christ just kills. But the spirit brings life. But in him was life. And the life was the light of men. I'm thinking about this person on the cross. And then it goes on and said in verse 14. I love this. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not put it out. Hallelujah. I'm telling you the light of Jesus is shining today. As bright as it's ever shined. Around this world, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is still known 
by millions and millions and billions of people. Oh, yes, there are a lot of people lost without Christ. But I'll tell you the truth. There are people of every race, tongue, and tribe who exalt him, who worship him, and praise him because the darkness has not put out the light of the Son of God. And we're going to see, it says in verse uh, 14, who was on the cross? And the Word that was with God and the Word that was God and the Word through which everything was made and the Word in whom there was life and the Word in whom the darkness could not put out the light. Listen to what it says. And the Word became flesh and lived among us. Wait a minute. Are you telling me that God became flesh and lived among us? That's exactly what it's saying. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And listen, we're still doing this. We beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And look what He's full of. Man, it makes you make you a Baptist want to shout. He was full of what? Grace and truth. Grace without truth leads to license. Truth without grace leads to legalism. But when you've got grace and truth, you've got the gospel of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it goes on and says here in the next verse, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me. He was before me and comes after me and is preferred before me. And then he goes on and says in the next verse, and of his fullness, now listen to this, of his fullness we have all received. And, and grace for grace. We've received the fullness. And so he keeps talking about grace. And grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses. But I love this. This is the person on the cross. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, don't you go around listening to the latest philosopher or, or the latest humanist or the latest uh, preacher who doesn't preach the Bible. Let me tell you what you do. You listen for somebody that is saying that grace and truth are found in one person, and that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the person on the cross. But you go on and you read further that not only was he God, but he, um, and look at Philippians 2, 5 through 8. This is the person that was on the cross. He is God. And in verse 14 it said, and the word became flesh and lived among us. My, he lived among us. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. But who was this person on the cross? I mean, all history points back to that. You know, the cross is the most recognized symbol in the world. A lot of people don't even know what it means. You don't, they don't know what it means. They got big gold chains and they got crosses about that big. And you say, well, boy, that's wonderful. Tell me about the person who died on it. Well, I don't know anything about that. I just like the way it looks. But look, look at this. This is who was on the cross. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God. That word form means the same substance. It's the Greek word usios, which means who being of the same deity as of the Father. Who was in the form of God. Deity did not consider it something to be held on to, to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation. Wow. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Man, that's who was on the cross. He humbled himself took upon himself the form of a servant. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and listen to this, he became obedient 
to death. That's the person that was on the cross, Jesus. God manifest in the flesh. In him was life, and life was the light of men. And, and, he, and, and he found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. But it doesn't stop there. The Father saw it. He had sent, the, in, the, in the fullness of time, He had sent His Son into the world to, to redeem His creation from the curse of the law because they could not see it. And so here goes Jesus, and He's obedient to the Father to the point of death. And the Father saw and was involved, and look what it says. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. Hallelujah. What, what's the greatest name on earth? Tell me what it is. It's Jesus. That's the greatest name on earth. You want to change the conversation? Start talking about Jesus. That'll change the whole thing. And the name above every name, he gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus. Now, this is the person that was on the cross. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And every tongue will confess of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is, say it with me, Jesus Christ is to the glory of God the Father. I want to tell you something. Don't you ever get over who was on the cross. When you think about the cross and when you sing about the cross, I'll tell you, when you talk to people about Jesus, let, don't, don't ever forget that it was the Son of God, perfect deity, the Son of Man, perfect humanity that was hanging on that cross. And I'm telling you, that changes history. That changes the way we respond to the living God. It changes everything. The person that was on that cross. He was exalted by the Father. Now, let, let's think a minute about the life of the person on the cross. And I could go on and for days just take the New Testament and show you. That, but I'm going to show you two or three things. Well, two things, really. About the life of the person who was on that cross. The cross means one thing, the death of Jesus. His death sent by the Father to redeem fallen man. And so what you've got to realize is that what about his life? Well, I'm going to tell you, and I'm so thankful this is true. It is a life of love. Jesus, the one on the cross, lived a life of love. The Bible makes it so clear. It says in... Um, 1 John 4, 9, and 10, that it, it, he came loving you and me while we were still sinners, still lost, wicked, without God, without hope. He came loving us. It says, you know, he lived a life of love, but yet they crucified him. In him was life, it says, in this is love, not that we loved God. No, let me start over. In this, the love of God is manifested toward us. That God, wait a minute, i got to go back. I want you to listen to it now. How do I know God loves me? How do you know God loves you? Some people would say, well, I know God loves me. Well, how do you know that? Well, now listen. In this, the love of God was declared toward us. That God sent his only begotten son into the world that we could live through him. Jesus lived a life of love. You remember the story, and I never get tired of telling it. And the little boy asked his mother, said, Mama, how much do you love me? And she said, that much. Oh, he said, come on, Mama, you love me more than that. She said, well, that much. Oh, now you know you love me more than that. How much do you love me? He said, that much. 
And that's how much Jesus loved you. That's how much he loved you. To be stretched out on a cross with the wrath of God upon him because of your sin. How much did he love you? That much. And this is love, not that we loved God. And we didn't. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So you've got to understand now that the person on the cross is the son of God, perfect deity, the son of man, the last Adam, perfect humanity. And now he is laying down his life and he is living a life of love for lost sinners separated from God. He lived a life of love. I love Romans 5, 8. God's st- and this is love. Don't pass over that. He's telling us what love is. Do, you, do we really know what love is? In this is love, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, if I'm good enough, God might love me. No, no. You'll never be good enough. The truth is he loves you in your sin. Oh, he hates your sin. It's what he poured his wrath out on the cross for his son. But he loves you. And God demonstrates that love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't get good enough so that Jesus could die. Listen, I'm going to get my life straightened out. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Hey, you can't straighten your life out, and you can turn over a new leaf till you wear out the pages, but you'll never change until you have an encounter with the Christ who died on the cross. God demonstrates his love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But you know, this is one of the most awesome passages in the Bible. And uh, it's in Ephesians chapter 3. And I want you to think about the, the kind of love that God's talking about here. Now, this is the person on the cross. Perfect deity, perfect humanity, Jesus of Nazareth. He's living a life of love for sinners. And then it says in, 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 Philippi, in Ephesians 3, That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you may be rooted and grounded in love. Now, he was writing to believers here. And uh, he says, Christ is dwelling in your heart through faith. But I want you now not to be rooted and grounded in your emotions. Don't be rooted and grounded in your circumstances. Don't be rooted and grounded in uh, religion. He says, I want you to be rooted and grounded in love. Well, what kind of love? Whose love? It says here that, that rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend somehow that you might understand. And I'll tell you what, it's hard to understand. The Holy Spirit has to illuminate your mind. That you may be able to understand with all the saints, (laughs) with all of God's children, what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height. Listen to what it says in the next verse. To know the love of Christ. Man, he said, I'm just praying that God will give you a revelation of the breadth, length, depth, and height of the love of Christ, that you will know how much he loves you. It's higher than you could ever think, deeper than you could ever think, wider than you could ever think. You may be able to comprehend with all the saints to know the love of Jesus, which passes knowledge. Now look at the rest of that verse, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. I want to say something to you. If you ever get beyond your intellect and it ever gets into your spirit, how much God loves you, you'll be filled with the fullness of God. You will be. It will change your life. You can say all you want to, Jesus loves me intellectually, then, then trials come and you wonder where God is. 
But when it gets beyond your intellect into your spirit and you really know how much Jesus loves you, you know that nothing will shake you. Oh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be a battle. But, I mean, it could be filled with the fullness of God when in your spirit and soul you know how much Jesus loves you. So the person on the cross, he lived a life of love. But I want you to notice one other thing. He lived a life of obedience. What a characteristic of a person's life. It may be said of a man or woman, boy, he or she loves God. And you know what? He or she obey God, obeys God. Their love for God has produced obedience for the Father. I think it was John that said that if you say that you know him, but do not keep his commandments, you're a liar. The proof of our love for God is we obey him. But I'm going to tell you about Jesus, the man on the cross, the person on the cross. Listen to his obedience. In Philippians 2.8, he was obedient to the point of death. He was obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. John 8, 28 and 29. Listen to what it says. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, he was talking about when he went to on the cross. He said, when you lift me up on the cross, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak all things. He said, I don't do anything without the Father. Nothing. Nothing is important to me as pleasing my Father. And look at this. He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. Boy, this is some verse. I always do those things that please him. Jesus was the only person that could ever say that. You know, I always do those things that please the Father. You know that person on the cross? In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He humbled himself, laid aside his deity, and took upon himself humanity, and died on the cross because he loved you. And he died on the cross because he was obedient to the Father. It was obedient. Let me ask you a question. Was it difficult for Jesus to obey God? Was it difficult? Was it just a piece of cake? I want you to go with me. He's right in the shadow of the cross. And I want you to go with me to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says to his disciples, Peter, James, and John, I believe, y'all stay here. And I'm going to go a little further, and I'm going to pray. And, and he said, my, my soul is exceedingly troubled. He said that before he went to pray. My soul is exceedingly troubled, even to the point of death. This is killing me. Well, boy, he got in there, and he laid flat on his face. Somebody gave me a picture. It's about that long. And it's real dark. And there's shadows. But through the shadows, you can see the Son of God laying face down in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying. He says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Stay here and watch with me. Then he went on a little further. And, and, and this is what he said. He talked about uh, in the next verse. He said, uh, Father... He went a little further and fell on his face, prayed, saying, Oh, Father, if it's possible. Now, this wasn't a game. Jesus is the Son of Man. He's the last Adam. Everything Adam was supposed to be, Jesus is. He said, If it be possible, would you let this cup pass from me? Me bearing your wrath? For the sins of the human race? 
If it's possible, would you let this cup pass from me? But listen to his obedience, nevertheless. Not my will, but as you will. Well, you said, okay, Brother Fred, but wait. He did that three times. Three times. He cried out to the Father. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed. Oh, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you. Listen, the death of Christ on the cross was a serious thing. It was a horrendous thing. The wrath of God poured out on the Son of Man for our sins. And here Jesus was looking straight at the cross, knowing, knowing, knowing what was going to happen. And he just said, Father, there any other way? But he closed and said, at, toward the end, he said, he went a little further. And, and then at, in another verse, it's, he said, he prayed one more time. And then he said to his disciples, and he said, same thing, but your will, but your will be done. He said, he got up and said, okay, it's time to go. And he started walking straight toward the humiliation of the cross. Now, I want you to understand, the person on the cross, he, was, he is not only love, but I'm telling you, he's obedient, even unto death. And it was for you, and it was for me, even to the death of the cross. Amazing love, how can it be? That you, my king, would die for me. I hope you never get over the person on the cross. Every time you hear singing at the cross, at the cross, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. When I survey the wondrous cross, well, you need to look and see who's on there. And you need to know why he's there. And I'm telling you, he's there because he loves sinners. He loves you. And he's there because he was obedient to the Father. And he knew that it would never be possible for anyone to be saved unless he died on the cross. Well, that's the person on the cross. And now I want to talk to you about the second thing. And what's the, that's the purpose of the cross. You know, but the Bible says that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Somebody said, I'd never even thought about it. There was a cross in heaven before there was ever a cross on earth. Man's sin did not catch God by surprise. God is God. There's nothing he doesn't know, nothing he will never not know. He's always known everything. There's, there's nothing outside the omniscience of the living God. He knows everything. So there was a cross in heaven before there's ever a cross on earth. But what was the purpose of the cross? You know, I, th this verse came to me. And it kind of surprised because there's so many verses. But I want you to look at 1 Timothy 1.15. Now this is the purpose of the cross. And, and, it, and it's, it's Paul who was Saul, Saul was a religious Pharisee, the number one Pharisee in the land, studied at the feet of Gamaliel, hated Christians, hated the church, was on the way to Damascus to put the Christians in jail. I am telling you, he was zealous for his religion. But it says, and uh, this is what Paul wrote later after he was saved. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. I said, Paul, you, you had it right. The purpose of the cross. Christ came into the world to save sinners of which you and I are the chief. Oh yeah. The purpose of the cross was all about God's solution 
and God's answer for the sin of men and women that he created in his own image. And he never stopped loving. And so he sent his son into the world. He sent him into the world to save sinners of whom Paul said he was the chief. You know, I hate that we um, get so familiar with verses that they don't mean to us what they ought to mean. I'm talking about myself. You memorize it. Well, if you can do just like that. But, but do you understand the depth of these next four verses? The purpose of the cross. Do you understand? Listen to it. For God so loved the world of sinners that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then that next verse is so strong. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God didn't send Jesus to condemn you and me. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And boy, this is a, a great verse that helps us understand. He who believes in him, the person on the cross, Jesus, God manifest in the flesh, Son of God, Son of Man. He who believes in him is not condemned. Why? Because of the price Jesus paid. I'll tell you about that later. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe, now get this, is condemned already. You know why they're condemned already? Because they're born in this world with the sinful nature of Adam. We are sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. And when Jesus came into a world of people that were condemned because they were sinners by nature and by choice. He said, he that believes in him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the only begotten Son of God. Now, I want you to notice this. Why don't people come to Jesus? Why don't people come to Jesus? I mean, the cross is the best news I've ever heard in my life. The resurrection. And this is condemnation. That light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light. Do you love darkness rather than light? Or do you love light rather than darkness? That they... they, uh, And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And it goes on and says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. You you want to know why people aren't flocking into churches? And I'll even say churches would be preaching the gospel. There's some I hope they don't flock in. I hope they flock out. Because I'll tell you why they're not coming. You're that buddy of yours you've been trying to get to come. You know that friend of yours? He loves darkness. He's got darkness in his life. He loves it. He loves his sin. There's pleasure in sin for a season. But it is a short season. And sin pays an awful wage. But the reason they don't come to Jesus is they love darkness. Because Jesus is the light that lights every man that comes into the world. And when you get in the presence of Jesus, the light shines into the depths of your heart and exposes the wickedness and sin. Everyone who practices evil hates the light. (laughs) That shouldn't surprise you. Everyone who practices hates the light. They do not not come to the light. (laughs) They don't want their deeds exposed. So we've got to understand the purpose of the cross. Paul said he came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And he sent his son into the world, his only begotten son. And those that believe him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, 
this is probably going to be the last point I'm going to be able to get in this right here. I'm, I'm just going to get to I think we need to spend some, about five minutes on this a little bit more. I want you to listen. The purpose of the cross was that because nothing else could penetrate and take care of and change the wickedness and sinfulness of the human heart. Years ago, this must have been 20 years ago, somebody gave me a book written by a secular psychiatrist that said, whatever happened to sin? You know, you don't hear much, many people preaching against sin. It's kind of like, I'm okay and you're okay. But we're not okay. That's the problem. You know what the Bible says about the human heart? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You know why I know that? Because that's my heart. Left to itself, my heart would be desperately, desperately wicked. You say, oh, no, I got self-control. No, you don't. No, you don't. When tempt, if, 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 you, if you didn't have Jesus and don't have him, the enemy will come in like a flood and sweep you away because of the wickedness of our own hearts. I, I'm going to read uh, three scriptures, and uh, I'll, I'll be through. Listen to this, with this first message. Romans 1, 18 through 32. Now, I'm going to get in trouble um, when I say this. Now, I, I'm, and I'm going to say it. I'm just going to say it, and, and if I get in trouble, y'all just defend me, okay? The Democratic Party that your father belonged to is not the Democratic Party of today, okay? The platform of the Democratic Party is Romans chapter 1, which is wickedness and ungodliness. Now, you don't believe it. I'm fixing to read it to you. You say, Brother Fred, that's awful. I know it's awful. Why? Man's wicked. Sometimes we get amazed at the wickedness of people. What do you expect when they don't know Jesus? What do you expect when they've got the sinful nature of Adam? What do you expect out of them? To wear Sunday school clothes and come to Sunday school? They ain't coming. They're wicked. And only Jesus can change them. But he came for those wicked people. Listen to what it says in Romans 1. For the wrath of God. Oh, you mean that God is a God of wrath? Oh, yeah, yeah. But I thought you said he's the God of love. He is. But he's holy, and he's not only the God of love, but he's the God of wrath. You read the whole New Testament and the Old Testament. It says, it says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifested in them. God has manifested himself to every human being on any uh, uh, place on this earth. He has manifested himself through creation, through creation, and through conscience. He's manifested himself no one can say, I, I never knew there was a God. Oh, nobody can say that. I, had, I think it was Randy that said to me that uh, somebody was talking to me, said that um, I've never been into a village, every village I've been to that didn't know the true and living God, they always had another God. And that's right, because they know there's something greater than them. And they don't know what it is because their hearts got darkened. Let me read on. Because what may be known for since the creation of the world, go back to that, for since the creation of the world, his attributes are clearly seen. The sun rising every morning, the moon, the stars, his attributes are clearly understood by the things that are made. You can look at this thing. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Even his eternal power and Godhead, creation, conscience, reveals his eternal power and Godhead so they're without 
excuse. You mean there's no excuse? There's no excuse. If you could go out and look in this world and see how everything's just right. I get so amazed at the details of God's creation. It overwhelms me. Just the details of it. Everything's in order. Unless his judgment comes through creation. But anyway, it goes on and says, because although they knew God, they knew there was a God. They did not glorify him as God. Nor were they thankful. But but became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. And it goes on and says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And it goes on and says, and they changed the glory of incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Lord, have mercy. They've changed the image of the incorruptible God and they made statues of, 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 of idols and, and we, we just read through the Old Testament and we can look at all the places around the world where the darkness is there and they've got some kind of idol, some kind of idol that they've, and you say how foolish, they're worshiping something they made with their own hands I love the way the Bible just says about those gods. They have ears and they cannot hear. They have eyes and they cannot see. They have mouths and they cannot speak. No wonder God said possessing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And I, and, and I love this part. Image is made like corruptible man. I want to tell you, America's got a new religion and it's growing every day. It's called humanism, humanism. And in and Humanist Manifesto 2, it says, No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. Any promises of salvation and eternal life are illusory and are harmful to man. Oh, no deity will save us. We're our own God. Humanists worship themselves. Oh, yeah, they worship themselves. You know that. It's all about self. And, 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 and so this shows you the sinfulness of man's heart. And to like corruptible man, birds, four-footed animals, and creeping things. Read on. I'm just showing you the condition of the human heart. Therefore God gave them up in their uncleanness. God gave them up to their uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. God says, you don't want nothing to do with me? Okay, go. I'll let you go. I'll let you go. Who had changed the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature, man. Boy, we got a bunch of people in America and some of us may be in this room. We worship ourselves. Oh boy, it's all about us. We worship ourselves. Who worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed to God, blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Even women, for even their women exchanged their natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the man, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Hey, by the way, this was written about 2,000 years ago. And he said, let me tell you what's going to happen. Man's going to start worshiping himself and living for himself. And he's just going to get further and further and further and further. And one of these days, a man's going to marry a man. If you'd asked me 20 years ago, Brother Fed, do you think a man will be marrying a man in America? I said, what planet are you on? Come on. They do it all the time. But it's right here in the Bible. He said this is what was going to happen. Why are we surprised? Why are we surprised? 
God said it was going to happen. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, I don't want to hear about God. Don't tell me about God. There's so much I'd like to say about that, but I'm not going to go there. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, a debased mind, to do things which are not fitting. And let me go on and finish these last few verses, and I'll pick it up next week. Look at the next verse. Now, this is man who worships himself, humanism, who has other gods, and they don't want anything to do with God. They don't want anything to do with him. It's clear. It says, being filled, this is what they're filled with. All unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent Proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, and disobedient to their parents. Now that was written a good many years ago. And that's exactly described society today. You don't just look around in America. Go try Europe and Sweden and all the countries over in the United Kingdom. Where sin abounded, it abounds there. But it goes there. It says they're undiscerning. They don't have any. They don't know what's going on. They're untrustworthy. They're unloving. They're unforgiving, and they're unmerciful. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, for those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but they approve of those who practice them. It's amazing how Mercus view of sin has changed. Everything's clear and fine between two responsible adults. Humanists manifest. Hey, it's amazing how our view of life has changed. And our certainly our view of sin has changed. Not only do the same, but approve of those who practice them. Listen, the purpose of the cross Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom Paul said he was chief. Romans 1 describes to you the wickedness and sinfulness of the human heart. You say, Brother Fred, I'm not guilty of all of those. Well, I hope not. But are you guilty of any of them? The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. I rejoice and glory in the, per- in the person of the cross. But I also rejoice in the purpose of the cross. Why Jesus came to do something about the sinful heart of man. And to get him free. And so that's where we'll go in our messages the next time I preach. We'll keep going on talking about the purpose of the cross.